time, but one of the things that you'll find when you go to the ball game is they sing that song usually. I think it's in the seventh inning. Don't they sing that song? Uh, one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old. Now, I wonder, man, where do they get that from? Why is it three strikes and you're out? You know, and of course, I don't know. Maybe there is one, one of you guys out there that you can find the origin of that song, you know. But one of the things that to me is kind of interesting is that's what happened to Israel. One, two, three strikes. They were out, man. 605 BC, the Babylonians came. And they did their damage. They took like Daniel to uh, Babylon. They, they took some stuff to Babylon. That was in 605. And then in 597, they came again because Israel did not learn their lesson. They didn't learn their lesson. Hey, you're the people of God. You're supposed to be holy. You're supposed to be different, man. You got to repent of your sins. They didn't. They still worshiped idols. They still were sidetracked. They didn't do, they didn't do the things God called them to do. So 597, the, the Babylonians come. This time Ezekiel goes with them and they take more stuff from the temple. And, and then it, they didn't learn their lesson. And then it was not one strike, two strikes, three strikes in 586 BC. God said enough. And then what happened, you guys know, the Babylonians came and they just leveled the temple and they took um, everything. They took all the, the brass, all the gold, all the treasures from the temple. I mean, they just, got, they just got totally, totally disciplined, punished. I mean, we're talking about God's hand heavy coming down on them. And so here's the thing that as we get into our study today, my, my prayer, you guys, is that we know this, man. God wants to bless your life. God wants to bless your life. He will bless your life beyond your wildest imagination if you obey him. We have to obey him. If he says pray, then we've got to pray. If he says read the Bible, we've got to read the Bible. If he says, you know, go and help that person over there, you know, they got broken down on the side of the road, God will show you different things to do, whatever it is. I just know this, that for me as a, as a, as a pastor, as a you know, all the different roles and responsibilities, titles and tasks that I have. Every single day, God gives me marching orders. And I've realized this, and I pray in a positive light that you would know this, God will bless. God will bless your life if you obey him. Now, God's grace is amazing. We don't have to be perfect, but there has to be an aspect of faithfulness. There has to be an aspect of you're a godly man. You're a godly woman. You're a faithful Christian. You know, there's something there, and God will bless your life. I'm not saying healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. We're talking about things that are way better than that. Peace, joy, love. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about seeing people get saved, and then, you know, your spouse and your kids and your grandkids, and it's amazing what can happen. Of course, they have to make their own choices and stuff, but, man, I, I pray we would know that God will bless your life if you obey, but if you don't, if you choose not to obey, then you are bringing discipline and judgment upon yourself. God will warn you. And I don't say this, you know, because uh, I'm, I'm mad. And I don't say this, you know, just to you and not to me. Believe you me, I'm looking in the mirror when I'm saying this. I'm saying this to myself, Manny. God wants every area of your life, every area, every thought, every thought. You know, when you're going, you know, to the gym, or you go to the mall, or you go to the angel game, wherever it might be, I already know going into it that the devil's going to try to make me check out chicks. I already know that. I know that going into it. So right in, man, I'll tell you what, you guys, because I don't want to sin. 
I don't want to sin. And so if I look at a girl the way that I shouldn't, that's sin. And as far as I'm concerned, Isaiah 59 too, it says sin separates us from God. I don't want to be separated from God. So I go into it, and I go into it saying, God, my eyes are going to be obedient. You know, sometimes you look at, you know, you're, you'll see something over there, and you're like, okay, I think that's a pretty girl. And then you have a decision to make. You can look. And as far as I'm concerned, then you're, you're in sin. And then you can look again and then look again. And I don't want to do that. You want to know why? Because God blesses obedience. And if I disobey, then I will feel the consequences of that. And I'm talking about every area of your life, every thought, those thoughts sometimes that we dwell on. Or we're talking about backbiting people, gossip, slander. I mean, we're talking about you know the things that we think, the things that we say, the things that we do. I'm just talking about the fact that God wants your heart. And so this right here, it was, it's all about that. It's a real simple message. I hope you have a Bible because, man, it makes it a lot easier to follow along uh, with your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, um, raise your hand and we'll bring you one. I think we have some back there, but maybe you have it on your phone or, or stuff. But, but that's what's going on here. Jeremiah 26, he's talking to the cities of Judah and he's telling them a message as they're coming into the temple. And then Jeremiah 27, he's talking to the nations around Judah. And he's telling them, hey, you guys have to yield to the discipline of God through Babylon. And so look what it says right here in Jeremiah 26. And it says in the beginning, verse 1, of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord, saying, thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house, all the words that I command you to speak to them, notice what it says, do not diminish a word. And God says, hey, go stand in the temple, tell them the message, and make sure you don't take away a single word, Jeremiah, that I'm telling you to tell them. He says in verse 3, perhaps everyone will listen and turn from his evil way that I, God says, may relent or change my mind concerning the calamity which I purpose to bring on them because of the evil of their doings. And you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me, walk in my law, which I have set before you to heed the words of my servants, the prophets whom I sent to you, both rising up early and sending them, but you have not heeded, then I will make this house like Shiloh and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. And so here in chapter 26, he says it's in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim. And so he began his reign right around 608 BC. 608 BC. Now, you guys, I just said it a second ago. When was the first strike? When was the first strike? Some of you guys know, huh? 605. And so he's warning them. He's warning them. But obviously, they didn't listen. Three years later, the Babylonians came. But it was in that year where God said Jeremiah to speak to them the word of the Lord. God gave him words of declaration, and he also gave him a specific location. Jeremiah was to go stand in the court of the temple and speak to the people from all the cities of Judah. That's what it says right there. Notice again, it says in verse 1, The beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities 
of Judah, which probably means that the people of Judah were coming up for a feast. And so they're coming to, to, to Jerusalem because there were three feasts that the uh, men were required to attend. And so it's a ton of people there, right? They're coming from all these cities. And God gave them the word, not just the declaration, but the location. And here we see it's something similar to Jeremiah chapter 7. Uh, you'll see kind of the same thing there as Jeremiah was uh, commanded to teach and to preach there in the entrance of the temple. And so we see in verse 3, however, that God is saying, listen, if you turn from your evil ways, I'll change my mind regarding the judgment that's on its way. But but if you don't listen, notice it says in verse 4, listen to me. Listen to me. Let me ask you a question just right there. Do you, do I listen to God? Do I have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church? When I read my Bible in the morning, do you just read it to check it off? Okay, I did my four chapters today. Or do you read it to say, I'm not leaving until I get a word from God. Until I get this, I know God has a personal message for me. That's the way I do my Bible reading every single time. God, give me something personal. Of course, you want to learn it in its context and teaching and all that kind of stuff. But man, are you listening? If you're not going to listen, then the second part right there. And then, you know, how about walking? If you will not listen to me in order to walk in my law, then God says, I've been sending guys to you like crazy and you haven't listened, then you guys are going to find that this place is going to be like Shiloh, and this city is going to be a curse like Jerusalem was. And, and so, you know, here you might want to write down First Samuel chapter 4, because there you get a, a, a good understanding of what happened in Shiloh. Now, you probably know, right, in First Samuel, it, it's about how the tabernacle was in Shiloh. Now, this is before the temple is built. The tabernacle is there in Shiloh. And when you read for Samuel, it was then that was Eli. Eli was the high priest, and he had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And so it was a dark time in the nation's history, much like we see what's going on in our world today. It was really bad, but the horrible thing was that it was happening in the, t- in the tabernacle. So the high priest was there. He had his two sons, and his two sons were stealing from the offerings. They would put their forks in where they got the meat. It was supposed to be meat given to God, but they took it for themselves. Not, not just stealing, but these high priests, I mean, these priests, sons of the high priest, were sleeping with the women. Sexual sin in the tabernacle, stealing from the people. It was a really dark day. And they came to Eli and they said, Eli, you can't allow this. This is not right. God's going to bring judgment. But Eli didn't do anything about it. You know, he just, whoa, mijo, why do you do that? And he was warning them, talking to them, but he didn't remove them from ministry. They should have been removed from ministry, but they, you know, Eli didn't remove them. And so what ends up happening, God says, okay, enough. You know, read the chapter there, First Samuel chapter 4. There was a battle with the Philistines. And so the Jews went out, Israel went out, and they lost the battle. They didn't understand why we lost the battle. And so what ended up happening is they said, okay, I know what we'll do. And the second time, our second chance, we'll take the Ark of the Covenant with us. Because they thought like God would give them victory. Even though they were living in sin, 
they thought God would give them the victory if they took the Ark of the Covenant with them. And then it's kind of interesting when you read the chapter right there, they were all excited. Yeah, yeah, they were so zealous and excited because they had the religion. They had the religion. They had the Ark of the Covenant. You know, and there's Hophni and Phinehas that goes out to battle and Israel again suffered a crazy defeat. And this is the only time we read of this in the Bible. The Philistines then captured the Ark of the Covenant. And it's just a crazy, horrible thing where they were defeated, and the, 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 just the capstone of that whole chapter there is the wife of Phinehas was having a boy, and as she's having a boy, she dies. And right before she dies, you want to know what she names her son? Ichabod. Ichabod. And what Ichabod means is the glory has departed. And so... You look at Shiloh now in the days of Jeremiah, it's leveled, it's destroyed. The, the place that was once the, the tabernacle, you know, the, the city where people would travel to for the feast is absolutely destroyed. And, and, and God says, okay, listen, this is what I'm trying to tell you, that if you don't get right, Jerusalem, that's what's going to happen to this house, this temple, and that's what's going to happen to this city. Now, you know, I don't know how you guys feel about being like corrected or being challenged. Um, I don't know if you've ever had like a good coach who was a little tough on you, a little hard on you. Um, It's good. It's good. You know, we need that. That's why the book of Jeremiah is so good because, you know, we, we all, I think, probably have room for improvement. There are things in our life that we need to surrender to God. And God says, yeah, I even have more for you. I even have a deeper prayer life for you. I even want to use you in greater ways. And God is saying, so let's do this. Let's, man, let's lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us because I want to bless your life. I don't want to discipline you. I don't want to give you a throngasso. I don't want to punish you, man. I don't want to do that to you. I have these amazing plans for you. And so this is what's going on here God says, if you don't get right, it's going to end up like Shiloh. And so he's giving the message. Jeremiah is giving the message in the tabernacle. And look at verse 7. It says, so the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. Now it happened when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people that the priests and the prophets and all the people seized him, saying, you will surely die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying this house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant? And the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. Now, I almost hesitate to use this as an example, you know, but it'd be like if someone was standing out those doors right there or out the, you know, the front doors right there the, by the parking lot. And as you guys are coming into church, you know, there's this uh, prophet out there is this saying, you better get your life right. You guys that are going to Calvary Chapel, Almani, or else God is going to smash this church and it's going to fall down. It's going to be dust. It's going to be burnt. God's going to destroy it and the glory will depart. You know, and you think about it that way, and that, yeah, it's heavy. It's a heavy warning. But that's exactly what was going on. And so what would the pastors do? What would the priests do? You know, whenever anyone criticizes me, 
corrects me, you know what? The best thing to do is to, before I get all defensive, check my heart. Maybe there's something here. Maybe there's some truth to it. Maybe God is, because a lot of times people, this is how they are in the church. Grace, 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 grace. And God is saying, holiness, holiness, holiness. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You know, all I'm saying is that, yeah, when we stumble, when we fall, thank God for his grace. But man, God lives inside of us. And God is just saying, you know, it's been 37 years or whatever. It's been 20 years and you're still doing that same thing? No, what we find right here is Jeremiah sharing the word. The priests don't like it. The priests right here, they, they hear what he has to say and they just want to kill him, right? You know, history tells us that these priests were making some good money and they didn't want Jeremiah to disrupt their kingdom. You know, when you read this right here, who does it remind you of? Jesus, huh? Jesus, same thing, man. It didn't take long before they wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to kill him because he healed on the Sabbath or because he was taking away you know, their crowds. He was a threat to their money. He went to the temple and he drove out the money changers and those who were selling oxen and sheep, right? And so they, they wanted to kill him. And I will say this, that the devil, man, he would love to kill you if, you're making a difference in the kingdom of God. And so you got to be ready for that. That's where Jesus was. And so the Bible says in John 5, 16, for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. And so all the people were gathered against Jeremiah. They bring him to the city gates where a formal death sentence can be pronounced upon him. And we read then in verse 10, it says, when the princes of Judah heard these things, They came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and sat down in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. And the priests and the prophets spoke to the princes and all the people saying, this man deserves to die for he has prophesied against this city as you have heard with your ears. And so you've got the priests, they're against Jeremiah. You've got the prophets, they're against Jeremiah. But now you have the princes. Now the princes will be more like, you know, kind of like the government officials. Now now they're there and the whole thing is before the city gates, the temple gates, and then you would see this is where they would make those judgments of execution. So Jeremiah's life is hanging in the balance right here. And so what's Jeremiah going to say? You know, now that he's there, he's facing death, Look what he says in verse 12. Jeremiah spoke to all the princes and all the people saying, the Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city with all the words that you have heard. Now, therefore, he says, amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent or change his mind concerning the doom that he has pronounced against you. So we're getting ready to start June. What is the month of June? In the world's eyes, it's Pride Month. Pride Month. I I was thinking about this. I'm like, wow, Lord, they got... I remember before it was was June gloom, you know, because of the clouds and stuff. 
But I'm, I'm afraid now, Lord, it's June doom. You know, God sees what's going on, you guys. And, and what we're, we're going to look, we're going to get into this a little bit. Um, man, the church, I mean, the world will do their thing. The question is, is the church going to stand strong? Or will you capitulate? How many of those so-called politicians say they're Christians, but they're all, they're all in, they're all in, yeah, you know, pride. Even pride by itself is wrong. Just pride. And so for us, you know what I was thinking, and I'm praying, you guys, we should start something. Let's pronounce June the month of humility. Let's do that. June is not Pride Month. June for the church is the month of humility. And the reason I say humility, of course I know we're supposed to be humble every single month. I understand that. But, you know, even more so maybe, because otherwise this June gloom is going to be June doom. And I'm telling you guys, it's crazy what's going on. And so I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to fast, and I see God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to humble myself and say, no, I am just a little man under the authority authority of God. We have to humble ourselves because all these people and all these guys and our president and all those people, they are esteeming themselves as gods. They think that they're the moral lawmakers and they're not. And so right here, when Jeremiah is now going to speak to the politicians, he's speaking now to the princes, he doesn't capitulate in his message. He said, you have to amend your ways or you will suffer the punishment. And it doesn't matter now that it's against the princess from the palace. It's the same message that he says right here when his life is on the line. You know, Jeremiah would be the first to say that to attend is good. It's okay to attend. But he would also say you can't just attend. You have to amend your ways. It's cool that you guys attend. It's cool that people attend on Sundays. But you guys know, huh? Because I think you've been taught that it's not enough. I mean, as a matter of fact, it kind of makes us more accountable. And, you know, we have to amend our ways. And that's what he says right here. Verse 13, amend your ways and your doings. The, the word, it means to change. Can I ask everyone here, myself as well, what do you need to change? Because if you don't change, God is warning you. I know, again, I know you might think, well, Manning, that's more Old Testament, it's not New Testament, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, and, you know, but God says, hey, shall we continue in sin? If you, if you sow uh, to the, the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. And so we're here at church, and it's a blessing to be here because you guys, hopefully you're open. You're like, hey, man, I'm going to ask God to forgive me, and he will. And I'm going to ask God to give me power. And I'm going to ask God to give me conviction. And I'm going to ask God to change me, and he will. Because it's a simple message. God will bless obedience, but God will, because he's holy, he must punish disobedience. 
And so whenever I do a message like this, I'm the first one. I have to deal with it for myself. And there are areas of my life that I need to surrender to God more and more and more, deeper, 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 more and more and more. What about you? Are you just going to come to church and leave the same way? I mean, it's crazy the things that I see that are going on even sometimes in the church. The Hebrew word translated amend, it means to, 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 to be good, to do well, to please. The word is found in various languages where what we find is in, it's in reference to doing good unto the Lord. As a matter of fact, one of the things that's interesting is that the word is first found in the story of Cain and Abel. And you guys might remember that, you know, Cain and Abel, you know, they came, Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, you know, uh, Cain offered his offerings to God and God didn't receive it because it wasn't offered by faith. Not just that it was uh, of the, of the, you know, the, the, the grain. No, it wasn't offered by faith. And so he was upset. He was upset. Imagine someone being upset with God. He was mad with God. And God just said, hey, listen. He says in Genesis 4, 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Why do you got that scowl on your face? If you do well, same, same word in the Hebrew, if you amend your ways, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, same Hebrew word, amend your ways. If you don't, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. There are some people, even in the church, sin rules their life. Imagine that, it's crazy. No, we are the people of God and we should rule over it. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's crazy. And sometimes people, that they're not even saved. That's why they can't overcome sin. And so we have to ask the Lord for, for wisdom. In, as Jeremiah is sharing these things, what would they do? Would they amend their ways? You might be asking as you're reading, will they do it? Will they do it? And the Holy Spirit is saying, will you do it? What about you? Look, look at verse 12 again. If you would, Jeremiah spoke to all the princes and all the people saying, the Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city with all the words that you have heard. Now, let me ask you a question. I read a little deeper here. Was God against them? No, no, he's not really against them, huh? He's for them. He's for them. He's just saying, hey, those things that you're doing, I'm against that. And we have to understand that's the way the Lord is. So the priests and the prophets, they said Jeremiah deserved to die, but he didn't modify his message at all. Look at verse 14. As for me, here I am in your hand. Do with me as seems good and proper to you. But know for certain that if you put me to death, you will surely bring innocent blood on yourselves, on this city, and on its inhabitants. For truly the Lord has sent me to you to speak all these words in your hearing. And so these guys were saying, hey, he deserves to die. He deserves to die. And Jeremiah's like, hey, I ain't going to change my message and just want to let you know, God sent me. I don't deserve to God. God sent me. But if you do kill me, then your guys are bringing blood on the land. Now, here's something that maybe you're not aware of. 
The only way you would be aware of it, if you read the Bible, you read it, you read it, you read it, you read it, and eventually it kind of sinks in that when there's blood spilt, that, that God, man, he has to judge that the land is filthy with the blood. And, and so, again, just something to think about of all the babies we've killed in the United States of America. Talk about the blood. Talk about the blood. So you guys, we need to be ready. And I'm not saying, you know, like I'm Jeremiah or anything, but I think that if you just kind of look just real, real, real superficial, I mean, it's just simple to see. We are deserving of judgment. Our nation is. Unless there is some type of great revival and return. The only thing that makes sense to me is the rapture of the church and then the judgment of God. Because some of you guys really love God. There really is a church that loves God. And God won't judge us, but... He will rapture us. And so I think it's close. <laughs> I really do think it's close. And so Jeremiah says, hey, you do with me whatever you want, but you guys are going to be in big trouble if you do. And so verse 16 says, the princes and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, this man does not deserve to die, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Then certain of the elders of the land rose up and spoke to all the assembly of the people, saying, well, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah. This was a hundred years earlier. Uh, and, and he spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. And so they're, they're saying, hey, he doesn't deserve to die. You know, and then they gave an example of Micah. And you could read this in Micah chapter 3, verse 12, 100 years earlier, where he had given kind of the similar message to Hezekiah. He said, hey, you know, you guys have to make sure that, you know, you get right with God. And they did. They, they went home that night and they threw away their, 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 their drugs. I remember when I got saved, I threw away all my drugs, all my alcohol, you don't give it to someone else so they can get drunk. You know, I, and for me, I had devil music, so I threw away all my devil music. I mean, just, you know, you get rid of stuff. And what we see right here is God is saying, hey, you know, for us, you know, when you hear that, Manny, when you hear that warning, I want it to change you. I want it to change you. And I, and I pray that they would because that's what happened to Hezekiah. That's why he was such a godly king is because he was willing to receive the rebukes. You know, he didn't look at Micah and say, who are you to tell me what to do? No, he just took it to the Lord and God blessed them. Verse 19, did Hezekiah, king of Judah and all Judah ever put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord? I love that. And seek the Lord's favor? I love that. And, and the Lord relented concerning the doom which he had pronounced again, against him. But we are doing great evil against ourselves. So the priests and the prophets, they didn't like Jeremiah. Those are the religious people. But the princes, they were wise. And they said, no, the guy doesn't deserve to die. Look at Micah, what God did, you know, 100 years earlier with Hezekiah and how they changed. You know, I, I know a lot of you guys are doing okay. Praise God for that, man. But let me ask you a question. Is God calling you deeper? Number one, is God calling you deeper, closer? Has the Holy Spirit been saying, get rid of that? But you refuse to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. 
You guys got to be careful, man, because of what we're talking about. And God says, I'll bless you if you do. And that's what happened with Hezekiah. He got blessed. And the two things that I love right here, it says he feared the Lord and he sought the Lord's favor. Do you have a healthy fear of God? Do you have that? A healthy fear of God? Because the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so a healthy fear of God is one where, not like you're thinking God is going to, he's wanting to pounce you all the time, you know, beat you up or some bully, you know. No, a healthy fear of God is this awe, this reverence. And yes, if I continue in sin, he will discipline me. But I don't want to hurt him. I, I don't want to grieve him. He's my father. He loves me. He gave his son to die for me. Why would I want to hurt him? There's this fear of hurting him. And there is a fear of him you know, dealing with me. I, I think for me, especially as a pastor, if I get out of line, especially like kind of like the disposition that God's given to me, if I were to ever have an affair or something like that, I think God would kill me. And I think that's a good thought maybe to have because some guys, they just do it anyways, right? And the fear of the Lord will keep you from things, you know, um, drinking, the, the drugs, the pride, the, you know, the foul language, you know, I mean, the things that are going on in the world today, you know, I don't want to watch a movie that, you know, has nakedness in it. I mean, because I'm, you know, a Christian, not just that I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian, and that goes into your brain. No, and, and so I want to put good things into my, my brain. And, you know, there's just different things the Lord will show you guys. But, but some people, they don't have a, a really strong fear of God. And that's what's missing in your life. Right here, Hezekiah, he had this fear of God, and then he, and he sought the favor of the Lord. You know, he sought the Lord's favor. And the thing that's kind of cool about this is this section right here is coming from the, kind of like the government officials. Like I said earlier, the priests and the prophets, they didn't support Jeremiah, but the princes did. And then eventually we'll see the people do. So it would be kind of like our leaders, our leaders, our government officials. And they really, really need man you know, to get saved and have a strong uh, stand for righteousness. You know, I was thinking about this whole thing that happened recently with the Dodgers and the Angels and the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Um, have you guys heard about that? Anybody heard about that? I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, it's just crazy. So Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, even the name itself is kind of weird, but there are these guys, they're trans guys. They dress as nuns, not just girls. They dress as nuns. And uh, they're all you know made up and makeup and stuff. And, you know, the, the thing about it is supposedly they go and they do good deeds or whatever. That's supposedly what they do. But what the thing about it is that they're posing as nuns and they have crosses and, you know, they, they do. They, they, it is intended not just to talk, not just to mock, but to shock. And, and if you go on their website, because I did research on this and I went on their website and the website is specifically pointed to the Catholic Church and the religious church to anyone who would want to stop them from doing what they're doing. And, and, and you know, not just stop them, but who would take a stand. Like, no, I, 
I believe that men are men, women are women. I believe in marriage between husband and wife. We don't hate others. We love all people. But what gives them the right to mock the Catholic Church? What gives them the right to shock like that? To then get invited to Dodger Stadium for Pride Night, and then you know the Dodgers say, oh, Catholic, gives them, Catholic Church gives them a little bit of pressure, and they're like, oh, no, we can't invite them after all. Then the backlash comes again, the pressure from society and the world, and then they re-invite them. And, the, and, and in the meantime... The angels are over here. The mayor of Anaheim is inviting them to their pride night. So much, so much going on in all these things. And, and I was thinking, where are the leaders? Where are the leaders with conviction? Where, why are they spineless? Why are they cowards? Why are they vacillating? Why are they capitulating? And that's what we see. We see it going on. You see it with government officials. Oh, I don't, uh, I, I don't believe in abortion, but you know, I, I think it's okay for them to do it. Well, let me ask you a question, Mister. Why don't you believe in abor- abortion? Oh, because I, I believe it's murder. Well, if it's murder for you, it's murder for them. You know, for us, I think, man, we have to make sure that we look at these things. And we ask God for leaders. We ask God for people like these uh, princes right here. At least for a season, they were strong enough to make the right decision. You know, I, it was interesting today. Uh, I think it was today, maybe yesterday. The, the 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 White House press secretary was asked a question about this whole thing because the the, the story is going out there, right? And, uh, and, you know, the, the question was posed in a way where, you know, the, the reporter asked, he, he, he said, you know, uh, um, what does the White House think about this whole thing with, with the Dodgers and the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence? And so she said, um, I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to get into what sports teams are deciding, you know, who to honor and stuff like that. But it's kind of cool because the reporter pushed the question a little bit by using her own words in the past in which she had said all people of all religions should be treated with equal dignity and respect. And so, except for like Christians, you know, it's okay for you to mock the nuns. It's okay for you to mock the cross. Why is this happening? Because what we see right here, and we're going to see it later on in the book of Jeremiah, there are those leaders that are not willing to make and take the stand. I remember one day I was there at the city council meeting, and it was gay, pride, whatever, and uh, they wanted me to wear one of those buttons with the rainbow and stuff. There was a chief of police that came up to me and said, here, and I just took it. I said, no, thank you. You can wear it if you want. That's fine. We love everyone, you're free to do whatever you want, but you can't tell me how to raise my kids. You can't tell me, you know, what, what to believe. I'm still going to believe in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Romans chapter 1. I know what the Bible says about these things. And this is why I say them, because I have to humble myself and I have to acknowledge the fact that I'm not the one who determines what's right and wrong. God is. God is. And that's why, in my opinion, June should be the month of humility. God, let us humble ourselves to be able to share that you're the one 
who determines what's right and wrong. You know, there's so much going on. I don't know if you guys heard uh, Target. I mean, this all this pressure. You guys have to pray for these leaders. I'm sure there's Christians in places like that. But I, I was even hearing, and I don't want to talk too much about it, but I guess it's too late. I already talked a little bit. But, you know, and you guys know me. I don't mention this all the time, but it's just like, okay, Lord, what do we do at this place? You know, we love everyone. We love those who are struggling with you know, sexual sin and same-sex sin and those who are struggling with drugs and alcohol and pride and, and covetousness and lying and whatever the, the sin is. We love them. We just want to point them to Jesus. But we can't say nothing because we're hearing it so loud in the world today. And, and we have to make sure as a church that we know what we believe. You know, I'm not saying to boycott the Dodgers or the Angels or, you know, Target. I mean, uh, Bud Light. You guys... You guys, you guys boycott Bud Light, right? <laughs> I mean, it's crazy how they recently had this whole thing going on. But Target, I'll just tell you this real quick. You guys, you know, you go into Target, and they've got the big gay pride thing, and they're in the front, right? And so I guess they were forced to move it to the back, or they decided to move it to the back. And just the designer of their, 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 their clothing and, and is a Satanist. He's a Satanist. Think about that. So they are then you know, propagating this website. And I actually, it's kind of crazy. There's a few buttons. Look what it says right here. Just Because I just want you guys to know, if we're not careful, all that's necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. So if we just sit back and relax, that's why after COVID, if we never fought back, we might never have had a church again. We had to fight back and say, no, we're going to open up. We need to be a church, right? So here, look at, these are the buttons from the designer, this guy at Target. You know, look at homophobia headrest. And so you guys see that's a guillotine. It's a guillotine, and it's just kind of like, hey, chop off their heads if they don't agree with us. Okay, we don't feel that way about you. You have the freedom to choose whatever you want. We love you, but don't chop off our heads. Right here it has a person, uh, heteronormativity is a plague. A plague. That's what they think about us because we believe in, you know, that God created a male and female and God says it's better for a child to have a father and a mother. We believe that. That's kind of the family that God formed. But they say it's a plague. And then the third one right here says burn down the system. And so, you know, again, we saw that with even, you know, Black Lives Matter. They can get what they want if they burn buildings down. I mean, it's just crazy what's going on, you guys. So my, my encouragement to you, well, this is in front of us. Um, we have to pray. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And that's a promise. I believe that. Although it was written to Israel, I believe it's written to the United States of America. And so we find right here, it's interesting, Jeremiah stood his ground. And then in verse 20, we have an example of an individual that didn't stand their ground. Look at verse 20. Now, there was also a man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Urijah, the son of Shemaiah of Kirjath-Jerim, 
who prophesied against this city and against this land, according to all the words of Jeremiah. And when Jehoiakim, the king, with all his mighty men and all the princes heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Uriah heard it, notice what he did different. He was afraid and he fled and he went to Egypt. Then Jehoiakim, the king, sent men to Egypt, Elnathan, the son of Agbor, and other men who went with him to Egypt, and they brought Uriah from Egypt and brought him to Jehoiakim, the king, who killed him with the sword and cast his dead body into the graves of the common people. And so, you know, it's kind of interesting how he gives the contrast. Here's a guy, same message, but then he gets afraid. And he runs to Egypt. Now, in those days, uh, Judah had a covenant with Egypt, so it was no problem going and getting the guy, bringing him back, and they killed him. And so what's the Lord trying to say here? I, I think maybe what he's trying to say in giving us the contrast is just not be afraid, you guys. Don't be afraid of what they're going to think about you or, or say about you or do to you. Stand for truth. Stand your ground. Stand for righteousness. Yeah, they'll call you haters, but we know we don't hate. We, we, you guys know that, right? As Christians, we just love. We love them. We love people. This guy right here, he split. They ended up killing him. And then in verse 24, it says, Nevertheless, the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah so that they should not give him into the hand of the people to put him to death. And so uh, what, it's really cool. You know, Jeremiah doesn't end up dying. Um, why not? Why not? Because it wasn't his time. That's why. When it's your time to die, guess what's going to happen? <laughs> You're going to die. I'm going to die. None of us have tomorrow guaranteed, you know, so we try to enjoy every single day. But until that day, there's what's called the invincible principle, right? And you won't die. God's going to protect you until it's your time. In this case right here, the Lord uses this guy, Ahikam. And that's an interesting guy because he's the son of Shaphan and he was instrumental in one of the princes in protecting Jeremiah. And real quick, I'll just close with this. Um, uh, this guy, Ahikam, he was the son of Shaphan. And Shaphan, if you go back to 2 Kings chapter 22, he was there when they found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And so imagine if you would, you guys came into Calvary Chapel Almani, and it's all, just to say we hadn't been here for a while, you know, we'll just say it's been 100 years. And you walk into the building and it's kind of cool. You know, you're doing your thing or whatever. And then somebody finds a Bible. They're like, hey, what's this? This book right here. And they dust it off and it's all dusty, you know. And then they start reading it. And then what ends up happening is they take it to the king and he tears his clothes and the whole thing. They had lost the Bible in the temple of the Lord. There's a lot of churches that don't teach the Bible. Just like we went through a chapter tonight, and you're like, well, that was a weird chapter, but we still went through it, right? We teach the Bible. There's a lot of churches that don't teach the Bible. They might just say things or whatever, positive, moral, inspirational. You know, you got the Joel Olsteins, whoever it is, not really teaching the Bible. 
they have lost the Bible in the church. But here there came a time where they found the Bible. And this family is really a fascinating family because um, this guy right here, Ahikam, he's the son of Shaphan, and he was there in 2 Kings chapter 22 when God began to do that work. Here we see him now protecting uh, the people. These are relatives, descendants of these individuals. And then you see later his brother is instrumental in the book of Jeremiah as well. And so it just goes to show, I think, in one sense, that um, the, the strength, that when I was looking at that, the one thing I came away with is that the strength, the, the blessing, the influence of a godly family. You have an individual like this who, um, man, this is so cool to see the way that the Lord uh, will bless your family as you're you know, seeking God. You know, husbands, fathers, moms, you know, um, wives, you know, siblings. God wants to use you in that way. And so it's a cool thing to see.